0: Hello, I'm Al Ahmed, and I'm glad to join the other hosts here at the New Books Network. We believe we bring you insights from authors who have written useful and informative books with real insights. In most cases, in future segments, I'll talk to authors of factual investment and financial books. That's because as a journalist and author... Hello, I'm Al and I'm glad to join the other hosts here at the New Books Network. We believe we bring you insights from authors who have written useful and informative books with real insights. In most cases, in future segments, I'll talk to authors of factual investment and financial books. That's because as a journalist and author, I usually work in factual financial news and analysis. Recently, however, I've noticed an apparent increase in books that wrap a real-world financial issue into a fictional novel, thereby allowing the author to make a personal statement. Today I'm going to talk to one such author about his book. Before the Madoff scandal, many individuals may not have completely understood the meaning of Ponzi. Simply put, in a Ponzi scheme, a fraud artist creates an illusion of a successful investment and pays returns to investors by using money from subsequent investors rather than genuine profit actually earned by the investment. The scheme entices new investors with promises of unrealistic returns and needs constant inflows of cash to keep the fraud in operation. Charles Ponzi became famous, or infamous, for using the scheme in the 1920s, but the technique is actually centuries old. At some point, with Bernard Madoff, the scheme collapses and badly burns many of its investors. Most often the victims of a Ponzi scheme either swallow their losses or do what they can to regain some of their money through the courts. Ron McCabe took a different approach and wrote a novel entitled Betrayed, focusing on the aftermath of the collapse of the Ponzi scheme. Ron and his wife lost about a million dollars in a scheme that supposedly paid investors from the profits of real estate projects in Arizona. In actual fact, investors, such as the their returns, such as they were, came from money flowing in from new investors, which is of course the classical Ponzi strategy. Overall, this particular Ponzi scheme took in about 700 investors. The McCabe's lost their million dollars and at the age of 65, Ron felt it was too late to start a new business and to make money that way. So he wrote Betrayed, which focuses on the losses of Wally and Poppy Stroud in a Ponzi scheme. As a result of their losses, Poppy Stroud commits suicide and Wally sets out to get revenge. And he does get his revenge in several horrific chapters. To research the book, McCabe spoke to about 200 of the 700 investors in the same scheme and created a cast of fictionalized fraud artists and their victims. I'm on the line now from Sonora, Mexico. Good morning, Ron.
1: Good morning, Al, and thank you for inviting me onto your show today. appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, Ponzi, uh, uh, financial fraud in general, and, and especially my novel. Thank you for having me on. That's good. I'm glad to
0: talk to you. Before we go into the book itself, let's chat about the genre. Neither of us has an exact count, but does it appear to you that we're seeing an increasing number of books that take a real life financial fiasco and wrap it into a financial novel or, sorry wrap it
1: into a fictional novel uh i I think that that's true uh and and here's why at least in my perception um and it's not, uh, uh, it's not without precedent, too. Remember, uh, not all that long ago, uh, a movie was made about the Michael Millikan, uh, um, uh, Wall Street, uh, fraud, uh, uh, close to $700 billion. It was, uh, 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 it, it was a fantastic kind of thing, and then, and then not long after uh, that came the uh, uh, the Michael Douglas uh, uh, movies, Wall Street. Um, the thing with the thing with uh, uh Ponzi and, and financial fraud in general is that they are they typically set in the halls of big money, fantastic figures, uh, uh, people who uh, uh, who live uh, elitist uh, lives of excess and. It creates, a, it creates a, a fertile ground for, uh, for a novelist to uh, wrap a story around. Uh, you combine that with the fact that we've been uh, smack in the middle, all uh, oh, let's say just after the turn of the new century uh, um, here in the U.S., uh, with the kinds of economic problems that we have. And what, what uh, transpires is, is that many people who were on the fringe of uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, a, a strong moral compass. As the economy begins to suffer, and they can't make profit and, and run businesses in a, a, in a traditionally honest way, some of them begin to get out onto the onto the fringe of, of uh, uh, business, and and it, it isn't a far fall uh, from that. To end up in, uh, uh, end up in illegal operations and Ponzi is the absolute perfect kind of, uh, setup for these guys. So. Um, so I think you have a, a combination of a bad economy. People uh, it uh, are not making it uh, in a traditional way, and some of these people feel uh, a sense of entitlement. They're entitled to have this big life and and, and, uh, 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 and these successful businesses, and when it can't come about in, in uh, a traditionally legal way, then they turn to something illegal. And Ponzi is a is a perfect uh, kind of setup. So I think I think it's a combination al of these things that contribute that are contributing now. Because if you will take a uh, look, uh, uh, SEC archived uh, complaints uh, over uh, over last year 2011, and I'm sure it will be going out in 2012 as well. Uh, Ponzi fraud is on the rise. It's it is not by any stretch of the imagination a phenomenon that's going away. And um, and if you're going to have that, then I think novelists like my. Self are going to take advantage of using those settings uh, to, bring, uh, uh, to bring stories uh, uh, that people uh, will be uh, I- excited to read, but also have a, a teaching moment in it.
0: So, uh, so. so the SEC keeps a running file of Ponzi
1: complaints? Well, what the, uh, what FEC does is FEC, uh, um, uh, lists on their website the number of complaints of financial fraud, uh, uh, that are filed on a monthly basis. Uh, and um, uh, anyone can go onto their website and and look at them, and most of them uh, as they are public record, most of the complaints you can uh, you can read the uh, nature of the complaint and it isn't uh, it doesn't take much analysis to see that aussi crime is is on the rise hmm.
0: as an author, do you get something by wrapping the story into a fictional novel that you wouldn't have gotten if you had just written? Written a factual book about Ponzi schemes. Is there something more that you got by fictionalizing this one?
1: Yeah, from my standpoint, uh, well, uh, let's take this personally as it relates to betrayed. In this specific case, uh, there were. Uh, this is still an open investigation by the FBI, though it is years uh past now and the one you, the one you were involved in. The one I was involved sure. in. That's okay. exactly right. And so when I went on to write Betrayed, uh obviously I uh, I did not want to libel myself. So um, so it was necessary to couch this novel uh in a uh, in a fictional setting. Uh that said, uh I would I would argue uh as a novelist that uh taking a real life uh crime uh of of uh, uh financial fraud uh ponzi or otherwise allows an author to to really uh, expand the story uh, uh in a uh, in a non-fiction setting you're you're pretty much tied to the uh, uh to the specifics of what took place in a in a fraud and um, I suppose if that, if that genre is your bent, well, then, uh, you know, you'll find a way to make an interesting book out of that. But I as a writer, I, I'm not interested in, in writing things that come off uh, uh, as textbook. I, I wanted to, yes, I want there to be a teaching moment. I want you to... Take something away, uh, that's, that's useful. So in that, in that regard, I couch and I portray the, the Ponzi fraud exactly as the complaints were filed. But as, uh, uh, as the interaction of the characters takes place and the, and, and the, uh, uh the psychosis that begins to, uh, uh, take place in the protagonist in, in this novel, um Uh, I wanted to to expand the base of the story because what happens when when Ponzi or any other kind of fraud for that matter is is, uh, recorded is the the story is is based on the perpetrators very rarely and I'll give you two examples take the Madoff case which you mentioned earlier in your show Um, how many stories have you heard about the thousands of tens of thousands of people who lost everything and many of these people were in their 80s and 90, 90 years of age they you're, lost you're right. everything we, but there we were no very, stories about that yeah we
0: heard very few stories i mean there yeah. were the classical celebrities i think we heard about steven spielberg and some of those folks who lost money but you're right we didn't get a clear picture of the of the uh, Followed,
1: and yes, and 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 uh, that was also true with uh, with the Enron uh, 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 debacle, which was also a classical Ponzi uh, uh, case. So when I set out to do uh, to do uh, the novel Betrayed, what I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to take a different angle. I wanted I wanted the story told from the perspective of the victim.
0: So, who is, Who is betrayed? Was it just Wally and Poppy Stroud, or is it the system that's betraying people who believe in it? Who's who's actually getting betrayed here? You
1: well, know, you know, in in the novel, obviously, uh, it is it is the protagonist and his wife. I mean, they are the specific focus of the story. So obviously, they're the they are the people that were betrayed. But let's but let's be clear. Uh, we have we have. Uh, uh, well without without calling it empirical, I will tell you that roughly two million families in America have been treated to this to this kind of uh, 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 devastation that's a huge betrayal, you're, a betrayal. You're, you're, you''re you're saying that
0: roughly two million American families have lost money in Ponzi
1: schemes Absolutely. over roughly how long well uh, uh let's just take it that would be uh from about the uh about the end of the uh 20th century just just let's take it the last decade of the of the 20th century okay. and to date in the 21st century as I say, I didn't. I have not. That is not an empirical study that I've done. But I mean, I can do simple arithmetic. It doesn't take a genius to uh, uh, to go to the SEC site, and uh, I mean, they specify the number of of uh, people who've been affected in these uh, in each of these frauds, and uh, you you can go down the list, and it doesn't take very long to add up the very large numbers of people who are touched by these frauds. Uh, I don't know how many were affected, for example, in the Madoff situation, but you take uh, the case that I was involved in, around 700 investors. Just recently, this uh, earlier this year, um, a, um, uh, there was a federal uh, suit brought against a fellow by the name of Douglas Vaughn over in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Vaughn took in around 600 investors. Uh, the, the case of Alan Stanford. I mean, it, you can go down the list, Al, and it just doesn't take very, uh, uh very much to add the numbers. And they grow large. Mm. Not every, I'm not saying that every single investor is wiped out. But I'm saying families that are, that are touched in a meaningful way. It's a very, very large number in the country.
0: And in terms of your own situation, uh, as I mentioned, you and, and your wife lost about a million dollars in a real life scheme. That's right. How did you f- feel when you found out? I mean, did somebody send you a note or did the police call you or what happened?
1: yeah well what uh in in uh in our case uh two days before uh, thanksgiving back in two thousand and seven we received a letter from the uh, from the investment company that uh, uh the management company mm-hmm. and uh it, it it simply said that they were temporarily suspending uh, payments uh, uh, to investors uh we were receiving a a, a monthly uh, a monthly payout on on our, our uh, our investment, uh, as were uh, all of the investors, mm-hmm. and uh, and they suddenly suspended payments. You well, know, uh, um, there was no immediate admission to what had happened, but uh, it didn't take me long to uh, to figure out that something was amiss, and uh, and I launched my own investigation at that point into what was going on, and it was then that I I just had a sick feeling in my stomach. I went immediately to the authorities. Uh, and, uh, uh, and filed complaints, and this thing took about three years to to unfold. It, it, was, it was complicated, uh, convoluted, uh, and and very, very difficult. And this is the point I'd like to make because uh, many people think that these, that Ponzi schemes are so obvious and that investors are overreaching so far that first the, invest, uh, uh, the investor is greedy, obviously. I mean, I got burned in a Ponzi scheme, so I must be, I must be a greedy investor. And it must have been so obvious that I, obviously, that also I'm, I'm not very intelligent. I'm here to tell you that that is patently and, Well, <laughs> you can argue about that. Well, first so, so first the, the, st- the, the stereotype of the of the investor yeah, it, is exactly challenging. Right. Yeah. But on a but on a on the more serious note, I will tell you that even federal regulators uh, have a hard time spotting these things. And uh, uh, and you know, they, all, they don't always appear as overreaching kinds of investments for example here we were talking about about eight percent interest on our uh, on our investment and when properties would sell out we would share in a small percentage of the capital growth over a four-year period of, uh, of a project mm-hmm. so we might we might make as much as 10 or 12 percent on the overall project i'm sorry but that is not overreaching that is not a greedy scenario for real estate type investments wow. i've been a real estate investor since the 70s, and I was—I was, uh, uh, I was uh, for a, a short period of time, I was even a developer. To make to make 10 or 12 percent return on a, on real estate property over a uh, over a period of four or five years is not. Uh, this does not fall in the category of. 28% returns on, on fake uh, certificates down in some banana republic. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate how how it can appear that, uh, oh, well, if you got burned by a Ponzi scheme, well, you deserve it, you should have seen it, you were greedy, you were overreaching. Um, and I think that there is a mindset like that uh, uh, out there. And unfortunately, uh, it's that very mindset that I think sets up people who consider themselves Savvy investors to be burned because they think it's always the other guy. They think it's always the, uh, the investor who's not astute enough. It's the guy who didn't diversify enough. Um, do you, do you, that you that's wrong. did you put
0: much of yourself into Wally Strode?
1: Well, uh, the, the characters throughout, uh, throughout the trade are, are a legitimate composite of, uh, of, the, People that I know have known, uh, uh, where the protagonist and his wife are concerned, those two people are specifically a composite of the 200 uh, investors that I came to know very well and interviewed over a three-year period of time that I was uh, that I was involved with an activist uh, in, the, in the fraud that I was involved in.
0: So you so, con- you contacted to research the book. You contacted roughly 200 out of the 700. Folks who were um, burned in the same Ponzi scheme that you were involved in. Yeah, actually, did you I mean, when you contacted them and said, "Hi, I'm Ron McCabe. I want to talk to you,"
1: would some of them have? Preferred not to talk to you. Would, many of them. Preferred not to talk to me. Some of them accused me of uh, lying to them about uh, uh, about what these guys have done. Uh, I want to back up just a moment and and tell you, uh, uh, give you uh, just a little bit of an understanding here. First of all, this company had been in business roughly 20 years, okay, mm-hmm. and they had this business model was in place. Uh, going back into, uh, back into the previous, uh, uh, before the turn of the century, uh, these guys had been active. And, uh, and they had, the business model had been honest. Uh, many of these investors had been with these guys for 10, 15 years or more. So to learn that that in 2004 when they when their company began to fail and they instead of uh, 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 confessing this to their investors turned it into a Ponzi scheme um, when I came along to begin telling people that this is what had happened. Uh, this is what I was finding in, in public record, uh, uh, that none of these projects were brought to fruition, that their money, as they paid their money in, uh, this company was using that money to pay out older investor, investors who were, who were due to be paid out of their, their projects. And the only way anyone was getting paid was by, because they were bringing in new investors. People actually called me a liar. Actually, yeah, accused, I can imagine. I can imagine. actually accused me of defacing, trying to, uh, uh became uh, these men and they just did not want to believe it I think I would think that that is a common you can correct me but that would be a
0: common reaction of uh, victims of a Ponzi scheme they don't want to admit it uh, oh, I, no I, would, I would think that some people just want to forget it, and others would try to pursue it through the courts but you decided to write a book um, why did you go down that route instead of just trying to take them to court?
1: Well, uh, uh keep in mind, I I, I did try to, I, I did everything I could, uh, that I feel that I uh, legitimately could, uh, let me take you down that track. Um, as I said, uh, I was an activist. I was a leading activist for a three year period. Uh, I worked with the FBI. I worked with the Arizona, uh, Attorney General's Office. I worked with the Arizona Corporation Commission Fraud Division, the Arizona Real Estate Commission. Uh, I hired, uh, I hired a law firm, uh, to put together a class action suit, uh, uh against these guys. I, I, literally spent thousands of hours and a, a tremendous amount of the reserve, uh, assets that I had left. And, um, it was, uh, it, it, we were a full three years into this when, um, what, uh, one FBI agent said to me, he said, you know, we've uncovered 250 underlying companies that these guys have moved money into. Mm-hmm. And uh so here, here's what happened. It isn't as if they took our money and went down and put it in the local bank. They moved that money into uh, convolutions that were next to impossible to follow that were going to take years to unravel that's item one item two they were buried very deeply in in uh trust instruments that would make it very very difficult uh, to identify as specifically their assets so uh so uh, what i was being told uh both by the fbi and by my own law firm were yes we can pursue this, but you're all going to have to keep putting money into this thing uh, uh to support the uh, the expense of of finding the trail of this money these guys are acting like paupers uh, uh even the even the multi-million dollar homes that they were living in were owned by trusts not by them if you looked at them on a on a financial statement they were worth exactly zero so so, so
0: was it was it because of that that you decided to take the route to the book that But the well, blind alleys yes, that you and, were and,
1: yeah. In, in my particular case, I I, uh, I, I came to a day uh, uh, I think about uh, four years into into the quest uh, for this thing, and I and I looked at what assets I had left. Uh, I looked at my age. I looked at my mental health, uh, and I thought about that uh, long and hard, and uh, and I decided that uh, even. Even if we were able to prevail on these guys, the odds that I would recover anything meaningful out of it were very, very limited. So, uh, for me, it was a very personal decision. But uh, uh, I decided that I, I needed to take what was left of my life and 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 uh, turn it turn it as positive as I could as I could make it. Did you get some did you get some kind
0: of some kind of um, Release or some kind of um, gratification in in putting this into a novel, oh, other okay, than but. one hopes the the book will sell. But I mean. Did you get some kind of
1: personal satisfaction? Uh, oh, it was uh, it was tremendously cathartic, and that's one of the things about writing fiction that I enjoy. You know, you can take you can take uh, you know a writer takes uh, takes his own his own experiences or her own experiences and, and turns to, turns it into a story that uh, first is satisfying for the writer. I mean, I hope that when people read Betrayed, the that they're that they're enjoying uh, uh, not just a, uh, a, a dark. Uh, revenge-filled uh, uh, story of uh, bad guy, uh, good guy chases bad guys. It, it uh, certainly is. It certainly sale. is a revenge tale, a lot uh, It is. It, the, uh, we, the won't
0: give, we won't give it away, but uh, suffice to say that it does turn. The
1: book turns on a, on a revenge tale. Yes, there's no question about it. it, 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 it uh, it's stunningly uh, um, violent in, the, in its resolution. That said. Uh, there is a thread throughout the book because I layered the book very, very heavily with, with themes that had bothered me through this whole process. It wasn't just the Ponzi scheme, Al, that I wanted, the story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell the, the story of what happened in terms of the mental health of, of victims of, of financial fraud. I mean, did, did any
0: of the 200 folks that you spoke to mentally disintegrate in the way that Wally Stroud in your book disintegrates? I mean, they may not have gone to the lengths that he goes to or went to, but I mean, clearly
1: Wally Stroud
0: disintegrates
1: in the book. no question about it. His journey is very dark, and the answer to that uh, is a resounding and, and sad yes, uh,
0: so I mean, in I real life, some of the two hundred that you met yes. experienced some degree of mental disintegration, and, 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 and you borrowed and, from that to into into uh, characterizing Wally Stroud. Is that,
1: is that yes. correct? Yes, that's a, yes, that's a fair that, that's a fair uh, uh, characterization of, of what took place. Did and, you did you have any trouble? Record, did you have any trouble
0: sort of deciding? When you were constructing the narrative, did you have any trouble deciding how much of yourself you wanted to put into Wally or any of the other characters?
1: Yes, I did. I struggled with that a lot because uh, there there was a tendency to want to tell uh, R.P. McCabe's story, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I think that that's dangerous for for a novelist. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, there is a there is a, a, a uh, a part of me that was infused in that story. I think that's inescapable for uh, for writers. At the same time, nobody wants to hear the poor me, oh, I lost everything story. The last thing in the world I that uh, that I want to do, that I wanted to do when I set out to write the novel, or that I want to do now. I'm not interested in garnering anyone's sympathy. I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me. And so, uh, so as I wrote. Uh, the I was very careful not to make this not to make Wally Stroud R. P. McCabe. Now that said, are there nuances of Wally Stroud that are RP McCabe? Uh absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love speaking awesome so. and I especially love good red wine and I love uh and I love cooking. So you so throughout the <laughs> which Wally Stroud does like too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in fact I was roundly criticized by one reader uh not long ago in a review in which she said, you know, does the guy have to tell me about uh, the wine that he's drinking and what he yeah. you know that's personal taste and of course you know a writer doesn't have the luxury of trying to uh, uh, feed each of those things out you write you write a story that you know that uh, that you that defines how you how you tell stories i mean it's my voice that's right. the way i tell a story so so yes there are nuances of Wally Stroud that are RP McCabe, but Wally Stroud is not RP McCabe. Right. We both know, and uh, I mean, I've
0: written a book, a couple of books, although they're factual, not not fictional. But we both know that when an author sits down to write a book, it requires a huge amount of discipline and concentration. And you were at the time coming down from, I guess the realization of what you had lost and maybe the frustration of talking to the authorities and whatever else went on, how do you shift from feeling burned, I guess, to the discipline that's necessary to construct
1: a book? Well, first, I will tell you it was not easy. Um, Actually, uh, the, uh, the idea... To turn uh, the grief, I'm going to I'm going to tell you that I was really going through the pro- through a process of grief. Uh, while while you were actually doing the writing or before the yeah as as I as I started I started with a, a, a pack of notes and I was also uh, I also had a therapist at the time and my therapist continually encouraged me to find catharsis. Uh, through my writing, uh, she continually said to me, "Look, what, uh, I, uh, we would have these sessions in which I would talk about all these things that were, uh, you know, how deeply they they bothered me, how uh, how ashamed of myself I felt, I, I suffered that, I, uh, there was a tremendous amount of guilt that I let this happen to myself. You know, you go through all of these uh, all of these processes, and she said to me all along, uh, right from the beginning." You need to use that energy to find your way out of it. And so I began, after some months, I began to take her advice, and I started, I started a storyline. I mean, Betrayed wasn't always there. I mean, it, it, it was a process of evolution. It came about little bit by little bit, and, and, the, uh, and the momentum behind the novel began to move a little bit better and a little bit better. It took me two years to write this novel. The first thing I realized is that I could tell a story about the Ponzi fraud, the setup in the novel, the first nine chapters. That's easy. But when I got into the uh, the realm of of discussing the mental health uh, of these people, discussing the uh, the devastation of suicide. Uh, um, all of the other themes that run through uh, uh, the novel, the uh, uh, the thing of international banking and the Cayman Islands, all of these things had to be researched because this was uh, uh, this is not inherent in my uh, in my uh, uh, knowledge base. Um, no, most of us wouldn't normally know about
0: yeah what to do in the Cayman Islands and and uh, havens and all the rest of it. So we have yeah. your we have your therapist to to thank for the fact that you. Took the trouble to write the book.
1: Yes, I think that's a I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, it wasn't just her. I had a tremendous amount of of uh, support system underneath me. I had another friend who was uh, uh, of 30 years who was uh, a, a psychopathologist, and he contributed heavily to uh, 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 pushing me in that direction. Uh, I have uh, I have a lot of friends in the uh, in the legal and medical community who've been uh, dear personal friends over over my. My lifetime and they all kind of came together with this idea that uh, uh, I could I could find a way uh, uh, to catharsis and to doing something that would make me feel fulfilled again because you know that's another thing you know if it, it, you, you, you cross the landscape of a lifetime now you put in your thirty five forty years and, uh, and you've built something and, and, and you define yourself by that. And when that's ripped out from under you, uh, there is this giant feeling of, of worthlessness. I, what have I done? I haven't accomplished anything, and so uh, it, it's very complicated. But the the, uh, the uh, psychological process that a victim goes through.
0: Well, I, I can so, I can imagine that. Um, yeah. But how how do you how do you set that aside long enough to do a couple of hours of writing each day? Oh, I do more than a couple of hours. Of well, hours. I mean, however much time you spend writing. Yeah. How how yeah. do you set aside? I mean, it sounds like a terrific mental uh, challenge to say, I'm going to stop being a victim. I'm going to sit down, get into my notes and work on the structure and do 10 pages or whatever you choose to do on on a given day. It strikes me as not being very easy to do that.
1: Well, it, it, it you know under the best circumstances writers will tell you that it is not uh, an easy um,
0: yeah under the best of circumstances it's not easy yeah. to do that I mean and then you uh, have aside- you' you're,
1: you're a writer yourself you know that uh, uh, it, you know when when things are all perfect in your world and you sit down to uh, to work and uh, uh, it it can be it can be difficult because there's's Life is always impacting on you while you're doing this. Right. I think. In, I think uh, the answer to your question is this. Um, I was. I was deeply depressed, and this. This event was. Uh, it was the primary focus in my life and i saw at at a point uh, a few months into what i hoped was going to lead to a uh, recovery for me i saw that the vehicle for that uh was was this book and so i would i would tell you that uh I, I was somewhat driven to get through this book because I saw it as uh, as representing the the end of of the pain that I was uh, feeling over having been suckered into this field. So. Uh, every day that I sat down and worked on this novel, I kind of saw it as the process by which when I got to the end, I'd be better, I'd feel better, that, uh, this nightmare would be over for me. Did it it work for you? Did that, did that happen? Uh, actually I, I, uh, actually I became so, uh, engrossed in turning this into a bigger story that I think I think there was a, uh, uh almost a, uh, a, a catharsis by osmosis in the, in the process because long before I came to the end of the novel, I was uh, I was excited about it. I was enthusiastic about the writing again i was i was uh, uh, I was invigorated and I was talking to my my friends about the progress I was making with the book and and people were getting excited to to read the finished product and uh, so i i, I Somewhere in the process, I'd be, I, I made it up over the top of the mountain. I don't know that uh, I don't know that I'll ever completely get over uh, what happened.
0: It, so, it sounds like there were two things driving you. Stop me if I'm wrong. It sounds like there were two things that were driving you. One, the urge to have this therapy that you your therapist said you might have as an author and two it sounds like you had a wonderful support system around you while you were doing
1: the the book is that a fair statement that's absolutely a fair statement and i would i would tell you that uh uh, without, without that support, it would have been a much different process. Uh, uh, you know, some days I'm not sure that, uh, you know, it would have been possible for me to keep going the way that I did because it, it was a matter of picking up the phone, speaking with a friend, uh, and, and talking about, uh, talking through these things. Yeah, I had a wonderful support system and I'm, and I'm very fortunate that all of them, uh, virtually all of these people were professionals. Uh, as I told you, I have lots of friends in the medical and, and in the legal community and and so uh, uh i could turn to these people and and uh it, yeah the, the support system was, was invaluable you can't so, so they, they supported you by what
0: just being there when you were thrashing around with Chapter 5 or something and you That's needed somebody exactly to right. talk to. That's exactly right. When I they, was underst- writing, they understood your situation well enough to know that you absolutely. needed somebody to talk to. Because it's a, very, it's a very solitary job, apart from the fact that oh. well, it's, you know, it's A, it's solitary, and B, you were thrashing around with a very personal situation as well
1: yes now that that that's a that's an accurate characterization mm-hmm. and you know uh, again uh the writing process as as writers uh when we when we aren't dealing with our personal demons, we're always dealing with something and uh and and the fact that you have uh, that you have people that you can talk to on a level that uh that uh, know something about you know about your background but but more importantly care about you and will take the time it's in, it's invaluable i th- i think uh, I think that's a human condition and I was very fortunate and very fortunate to have that
0: is there is there a bit of implicit social comment in the book, and by that I mean uh, Wally, there, there are several references to Poppy watching Wally try to get somewhere by going to the authorities and being frustrated, um, and there isn't a soul in the world who hasn't tried to do something
1: and been frustrated by the authorities. Was that sort of implicit in your book? yes and and it isn't just it wasn't just in that example that you gave i mean for me uh, one of the things i i I wanted to do was create uh fertile ground for social dialogue uh, in this novel. I mean, I hold deregulation as a, as a as a primary uh, contributing factor uh, uh, to the rise of these ponzi schemes. There are consequences for uh, for these things, and I, uh, you know, it, that as well is implicit in the novel. I I do raise uh, as you go through this this story, I I try to raise a social consciousness and the ground to have uh, a conversation uh, uh, on these on these subjects. So yes, absolutely. This is a frustration we all feel. I, I think whether you've been burned in a Ponzi scheme or maybe you haven't been burned in a Ponzi scheme, I think these things uh, touch people. I think it gets across lines. We we all have demons of one sort or, or another. Um, uh, maybe as you read, maybe as one of uh, my readers, uh, get through Betrayed, maybe this isn't exactly their story, but I suspect that there are going to be uh, levels and striations within this novel that will that will strike a chord of familiarity and say, "Wait a minute, I I know how that feels. I think I I, I recognize that that, that touched me in a certain way." And yes.
0: Do you think the individuals who promote the Ponzi schemes? Do you think they're working on their victims' greed or their gullibility or
1: their lack of investment knowledge or or all three? I think there are two kinds of Ponzi perpetrators. <clears throat> the third kind, uh, the uh the guy with the uh the white uh mucks on his feet and the uh and the pale blue pants and a white uh uh belt uh uh and a pot belly hanging over and maybe a cigar uh sticking out of his mouth. Uh the stereotypical backroom uh good old boy who's putting one all over on you. Um those uh, those those kinds of people work work purely on the basis of greed they, uh, they, and they look for a certain kind of investor that they somehow instinctively know that they can that they can pull in and those and, and that uh, scenario there that i 'm describing I think is uh, it is the stereotype that the overwhelming majority of us tend to think that Ponzi scheme hides in. And so therefore, uh, we all should be able to recognize it. We should all should be able to see it. And if you get caught in one of those things, shame on you, it was because of your own greed, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the other kind of Ponzi, uh, uh, perpetrator. Well, um, I, I'm going to have to take somebody on the national stage so that your listeners uh, really have something that they can look at and, and relate to. Bernard Madoff. Sure. He was the head of the NASDAQ for uh, I, I don't know how many years. He moved from that to a private investment company that he ran for 10 years Al, 10 years Federal investigators didn't find anything wrong. There was a whistleblower trying to tell them all along that there was something wrong, but even with that, they either didn't find it, didn't want to find it, couldn't find it, whatever the case may be. For 10 years, this went on. I firmly am convinced that Bernard Madoff did not start out to create a Ponzi scheme when he created his investment company but somewhere along the line his honest operation went bad for whatever reason his traders uh the, the the investments that he'd gotten into he suffered some big losses we see this happen on wall street not infrequently they suffer a big loss and they don't want to come out and tell anyone that this has happened or that they don't want to admit that the loss was so devastating that it, it, it really they had to uh, um, uh, literally undo the portfolios of their of their key investors. So rather than do that, they borrow from one group of investors who have and they and I use that term euphemistically. Borrow, they take from one group of investors over here who have who are not going to be looking to roll out anytime soon, and they use that money to shore themselves up with another group of investors who are getting close to having to be paid off. And pretty soon that system begins to work easier and better than legitimately making an investment. And before they know it, they've morphed into a Ponzi scheme. I firmly believe that that's what took place with Bernard Madoff.
0: That you're, you're, you're suggesting that it
1: was kind of an evolution. He didn't start out to be a And Ponzi. those are the worst kinds. Those are, yeah. the worst, those are the ones that the savvy investors, those are the ones that the guy that's sitting <clears throat> back, listening to this uh, uh, podcast, are going to say, this guy, This guy's a loser. A fucker is born every day. He Mm -hmm. just got greedy. I'm here to tell you that that savvy investor who has that kind of mindset is the exact one who set up to get nailed by the Ken Lays of this world, the Alan Sanfords of this world, the Bernie Madoffs of this world. He may not, that investor may not get burned in, uh, let's say an Arizona investment of a, 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 a real estate uh, scam type deal. Yeah, he might be smart enough to stay out of that. But because of this very mindset that he can't get burned, he can't get had, he's the perfect target to be had. So,
0: so are you, are you setting up your book as a kind of, apart from the, the fact that it's a very good novel, or are you setting it up as a kind of warning to people about Ponzi schemes?
1: Well, there is there is an element of that in there, isn't there? I mean, yes, uh, there there is a certain element, because uh, I think that there are certain specific kinds of Ponzi schemes that while they may not be apparent on the surface... If, uh, if potential investors are wary enough, they might save themselves from getting had. And uh, let me, let me be more specific about that. In, I, 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 would characterize virtually all real estate, managed real estate type investments that are not registered as REITs or, or, uh, uh, come under, uh, even stronger oversight. You'd better uh, explain what REITs are. Uh, a real estate investment trust and these are and these are instruments that can be traded on uh, uh in, in the uh, uh in the marketplace in, uh-huh. on Wall Street um, and they require an SEC filing and and uh and, uh, and the uh, uh creators of those investments are required to adhere to very strict uh regulatory uh processes uh and reporting uh and and their practices but when you get down to the state level, uh, to take a state like Arizona or, well, I mean, let's go across the country. We can take Arizona, we can take Texas, we can take Georgia, we can take, uh, uh, Oklahoma, uh, the, uh we can take the Carolinas. There are, there are states that are very specifically dangerous, uh, with, uh, when you get down to these, uh, uh, these managed real estate types of investments. Now, why, why are the, why are those particular states dangerous? Well, because, uh, because their, uh, their legislative, uh, mindset in, in those states that I just mentioned right. are, are very pro deregulation. Their attitude, uh, from a legislator, from a statutory standpoint is that government and regulation should stay out of small business. So they create fertile, ripe ground for these small scale, uh, uh, managed real estate investments to spring up. Now I'm not saying that yeah. Uh, because that is true, then necessarily they are all, uh, they're all Ponzi schemes or they're all illegal. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the fact that you have virtually no registration requirements, you have no regulatory oversight. In in those states that you mentioned. Yes, exactly right. Uh They're very easy for these people to set up these kinds of, uh, these kinds of schemes. California has it too, although California has stronger regulations. But, I mean, you can go across the country and, and you can and you can match up the complaints on the SEC files in what states you see the majority of, the, of them in. Mm-hmm. This is not rocket science. This is just simply a willingness to take the time to look. Well, like, apart, apart from the, the state of
0: regulation in an individual state, if I were sitting in the, the hall day in at a session where investments are being sold or whatever scenario that takes place, what else, what other giveaways would
1: one might want to encounter? Well, uh, the the, um, the track record, uh, how long these guys have, uh, how long this, uh, this business model has been around, and you can't, uh, as I've said, uh, one that's been there uh, uh, for a uh, uh, for a very long time it's still susceptible to to morphing into a ponzi scheme right. uh, the the other thing that uh, the other thing that uh, that people should look for is transparency when you have uh, uh, an investment like that, and you find uh, a, some type of clause uh, either in your documents or in the prospectus documents that, that you're looking at, that comes off as a typical privacy statement in which you have no right to access, know of or be in contact with the other investors, you're now faced with a divide and conquer kind of scenario. Uh, I would, this is a, this is a, uh, a, a real tip-off that these people are isolating, uh, 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 investors so that you can't hear from one investor to the next, uh, uh, insights that you, that might, uh, that might give you an indication that something is, something is going wrong. Um, there's that. Secondarily, you should be visiting every single one of the project properties that are uh, that are prescribed. Uh, this is a mistake that would be legitimate to point to me and 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 say, well, this was a failing that R.P. McCabe made. I made one due diligence trip to uh, to one of the properties. There were 40 different properties involved in this Ponzi uh, scheme that I was involved in, and because. My specific money was not earmarked to go into those other projects. I didn't take the time to physically drive and get out of my vehicle, walk into, look at, uh, and inspect every one of those properties. Had I done that, I think I would not have seen something. So this is a you could you could here is an area you can legitimately accuse me, and I have to legitimately accuse myself of falling down on.
0: So so, so it's it's the same old story. It, be careful before you sign on I mean, that. You'd have, you'd that have applies
1: to you know any any form of investment really. Yes, absolutely right. And the other, and the other thing then is, is diversification. And I've been roundly, uh, uh, uh beaten up over that by uh, a number of people who commented on interviews that I've done on, on the national stage, uh, of late. Uh, but, you know, let's keep in mind, I, uh, you know, I'm willing to share, uh, uh, myself, uh, with my readers and people who are interested in, in, uh, uh, financial fraud and Ponzi and, and so forth. But, uh, uh, I have not, I have not under any, uh, circumstance uh, laid out every single aspect of, of my investment life. Uh, what I had in this Ponzi scheme represented about uh, a third of my assets. What happened, what happened to the rest of them, uh, uh, I've, I've, not, uh, I've not been uh, willing to come out and, and lay all of that out uh, on the table. Uh, so I think sometimes people get the idea, well, uh, this guy went all in, every dime he had. Uh, that wasn't the case at all, but I will tell you that I was, uh, I was a very, very, Big real estate investor and, uh, and I don't need to tell you what happened to the real estate market. I'll, let me give you an example. On one property I owned in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, it was worth $695,000 on the, on the last day that I had it appraised. And, uh, by the time, uh, th- this real estate bubble had worked its way through Arizona, that property appraised for $250,000. And this was, wow, this a, was mm-hmm. a scenario that went throughout most of my income properties. This was kind of a perfect storm scenario for R.P. McCabe and his wife. Mm-hmm. It wasn't only the Ponzi scheme. The Ponzi scheme was the icing the cake, the crowning blow. Because what that Ponzi scheme represented for R.P. McCabe and his wife was our liquid assets. That was li- those were that money, that million dollars was liquid. Um, our other holdings were all equity holdings, so you get a scenario where we had—I uh, I, mean—where the Ponzi scheme goes down, your liquidity is gone, and suddenly properties that uh, that you own are now worth uh, fifty, sixty, and seventy percent less, and you can't give them away. No, and that that uh, happened uh, a lot in the. It happened all. It happened all over the Still U.S. Still happening but. to some extent. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it isn't over yet, and it was particularly uh, horrendous in Arizona and in and in Nevada. And in Arizona, here's another here's another uh, aspect that uh, that that people don't uh, readily uh, reference. Arizona passed uh, a, a, a nationally uh, uh, infamous uh, law, SB 1070, that, that dealt very, very uh, unfavorably with, uh, with immigrant workers in the state. It made national news across the country. As a result of that, Arizona's economy suffered horrifically. And, uh, and a little-known fact is that hundreds of thousands of Hispanics moved out of the state of Arizona. So those of us that had... Lots of rental properties suddenly couldn't give a rental property away, and uh, and that was on the residential side. On my office buildings, businesses began to fail. People began to default their leases, and suddenly you're faced with you're faced with uh, with that and the lack of liquidity to see yourself through. And to this day, I mean, uh, Arizona is still rife with uh, with empty office space that they can't give away. So well, that that probably won't change in the, in the foreseeable yes, no, future. It, no, it won't. But but these things all combined right to exacerbate uh, uh the uh the ponzi situation it was it was as i say i i've i've begun to look at it kind of this, the, the perfect uh financial uh storm that uh you know this destroyed me on on a number of sides so um well, if it destroyed you, you've done a pretty
0: good job of uh, resurrecting. I mean, you've managed to write a book that, as I told you, I've read
1: twice. Well, I, I, I should uh, that, that, that have.
0: You've got a, some therapy out of it, and you've uh, provided a warning to others about Ponzi schemes.
1: Yeah, I hope I hope I have, and and uh, and I think that's a, that was that's a huge growth uh, uh, that I've made at this at this ripe old age in my life. I think I did. Uh, I used, I just said to you that that it destroyed me. Well, uh, you know, I need to back up on that a little bit because that's a, a, that's a very easy uh, uh, um, group of words to uh, to use. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm not destroyed, am I? And that's a huge message. In uh in the novel
0: well you seem to have resurrected
1: yeah the the uh money is money is one of the great lies of our time and it's very easy to define yourself if you've been fortunate enough to make a fair amount of it which i was Uh, i i mean i don't don't i don't want anyone to look at me and say oh poor rp McCabe, because there is no oh poor rp McCabe here i i worked hard but I was very lucky too, and I was very fortunate. And for the, the overwhelming uh, majority of my life, my wife and I lived a very storied life. We were very, very fortunate people. We had all of the toys. We had the nice home. we, uh, we had the nice cars. We went on the wonderful vacations. I traveled all over this world. I have no right. To sit now and and uh, 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 and sing a song of woe is me. You're,
0: I, you're a uh, very honest man
1: as an author. Well, uh, I, I, if if uh, if a writer isn't going to be honest, uh, I, I think I think he or she is not going to be very successful. And then that's it, that's kind of our our
0: job. If, you, if it, one it of is. a better phrase, it's our job. I'd better stop here. Um, thanks ron i just wanted to thank you for your honesty uh here on the new books network i've been talking to ron mccabe about his book betrayed which is currently available in print or ebook on amazon and i gather will be released in the new year through
1: barnes and noble and other retail outlets thanks very much ron thank you for having me on your show al i deeply appreciate the opportunity to talk about Betrayed and my story thank you Thank you.